in the bay going crazy. Go crazy. Put peace on the hood, Mercedes. Whoa. Young boys letting off 80. Lean next to a DR like Haiti. This ain't no corner, no Bailey. No internet clown gon' play me. Money ain't never gon' make me. I can win with a couple bucks like Brady. If she ain't baby, you cannot shame me. When they gon' pay me to shut my mouth. Ain't gotta okay me, then they gon' save me. I'm finna stay. What is free. up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. Um, hope all is well with you. I am elated about our episode today. Uh, we've got a legend in the house. Uh, we've got someone who's incredible on many levels. Uh, we've got Minister Jay Bates, who is the um, who is the communications director for Faith in Minnesota and Isaiah, where she specializes in integrating grassroots faith-based organization and narrative strategy. With over a decade of academic and professional experience in ministry, social justice, and communications, Janae has helped develop and implement a race class narrative framework in both Minneapolis and across the US. Uh, her focus in work, life, and ministry is about living and uh, living a redeemed life and making space for others to experience redemption. Like I said, we've got a legend in the building. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm aspiring to it for sure. Oh, you're there. You're there. <laughs> uh, like I said, you've done so much. You're doing so much. You've got so much experience. Um, and it's a real pleasure and honor to have you on this podcast. Um, I've got a good friend put in a good word, our sister Tsega, and um, I'm so glad she connected us. After our last conversation, I hit her up. I was like, yo, thank you <laughs> <laughs> for making this connection. And uh, I'm really drawn to your story. I'm drawn to your heart, your conviction, and the work that you do. And um, I don't take it lightly. It's important. And you're helping make Minneapolis and the world at large a better place. So thank you for your contributions. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I feel really honored uh, to be here. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for those who don't have uh, much context for who you are, I know I gave that introduction, um, you know, but as a person, you know, tell us a little bit about your story. What led you down this path? Uh, what, yeah, what, what has transpired to make you, you? Oh, wee, that's, that's big. Um, <laughs> you know, I, um, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio and, um, growing up in Cleveland, um, it allowed me to kind of, it, it actually even being there shaped my worldview. Um, Cleveland is uh, one of the most segregated cities in the entire country. And, um, and so I grew up on the east side of Cleveland where it is mostly black folks. And when I say black folks, I mean, African-Americans, right? Because, um, you know, people try to poo-poo Minnesota and, and the Twin Cities as being like really white, which ratio it is, but it is also incredibly diverse where when you say someone is black, they could be East African, West African, Caribbean, African-American, like it's, it's a whole, you know, diaspora. Right. And, um, but in, in Cleveland, if you're talking about somebody's black, they're probably African-American. Um, and so, you know, living there, um, 
I, I lived around black folks and went to a to black public school. I graduated um, from there, went to a historically black university, uh, Wilberforce University, the first historically black private university. Um, and then I left there and worked for an all black newspaper. So I was blackity, black, black, black. And in that context, also grew up within the church um, and went to a an, um, Black United Church of Christ Church. And so, and I always say that, especially for Minnesotans, because here in Minnesota, we actually don't have any Black UCC churches. Um, and so I really like to give context because UCC is like the non-denominational denomination. Um, and, um, and so in um, Black UCC churches, there is a really um, strong spirit of like Black liberation theology uh, that tends to be taught there. So like uh, um, for, for those who know the reference of like Jeremiah Wright um, in Chicago at Trinity Church, like that is like the, uh, the breadth of that. And so I was really like cultivated in that kind of church atmosphere that tied very closely um, our human politic and our faith um, and like really made very plain and clear the call to, to care about the welfare of the public, of the people, um, most certainly to lift up those who are considered least of these. And in an American context that often um, in, it requires us to have a conversation about race and how that plays out as well as um, wealth and poverty and how that plays out. Right. Uh, and so um, I, you know, in that context, growing up in Cleveland, growing up relatively poor, not knowing I was poor because good parenting, <laughs> but <laughs> growing up poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um you know, I had a, I have, I have a brother um, who's always been really inspirational in my life, and um, and mainly because he's he, while he's my older brother by two years, for many many years I looked at him as my younger brother, um, and he uh, he battled with epilepsy since he was two years old, uh, and doctors had basically proclaimed that he wouldn't live to be five, and then when he made it to five, they were like, oh, you're not. Um, he's not going to be able to ever be independent. He would always need dependent care. Um, and, uh, and he suffered from seizures, um, grandma seizures. So the full convulsion, uh, which almost always required hospitalization. And when you're talking about a poor black family where, you know, both parents are working, but barely making, well, not making livable wages, um, for sure. Uh, and also having some massive healthcare bills. And, um, and so, you know, we were, we, we continue to be poor regardless of like strong worth ethics. Right. And, um, and my brother, his seizures were so bad. He was on many, many pills, um, some pills to manage the side effects of other pills, uh, at its height, he was taking 36 pills a day. Um, and then like all of the things that happen when you're talking, because we're talking about a kid, you know, eight, nine years old on all these meds um, that of course, like affect way more than your physical well-being, also your mental state and your emotional state and, and how he interacted in the world. And, 
Um, and so he was a little restless and, you know, I wouldn't even say mischievous. He was a kid, but, um, but he was also a black kid. Uh, and at that time they had moved him to another school system that was predominantly white because they thought that it would be able to manage, um, some of the, uh, um, well, what we, we were learning, he had some mental, uh, disabilities because of, seizures that he had so frequently um, and at such a young age. And so because of the learning disabilities, they put him in this predominantly white school where you know, teachers didn't know how to handle him and they didn't understand the ways in which the meds would have him, you know, wanting to run around when it was time to sit down or talk a little bit more when it was time to be quiet. And he got in trouble a lot. Um, so much so he was, uh, he even got expelled from school when he was in the seventh grade for blowing kisses at a little white girl and watching that growing up, you know, I knew something is wrong. Yeah. Like this is, this is not right. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, uh, very, I'm turning this into a much longer story than it should be, but my, uh, with him having these seizures, uh, really frequently, my, my family, um, of course wanted to, to him to be healed. And we certainly turned to doctors and as I've noted to medicine, um, to conventional medicine, but we also have been really strong in our faith and my parents, especially, um, and my dad said, we need to turn to the Lord on this one. And so he decided to go on a 40 day fast, um, where all he drank was water and tomato juice, um, for 40 days. And, um, and during that time, just praying fervently for my brother, um, and simultaneously taking him off of his meds, which the doctors were like, do not do that. Um, and during that time of that fast, my brother did not have one seizure, um, which was huge considering he could barely go a week without a seizure. Um, and he actually has not had a seizure since. And so it is that, that for me, I was, you know, like about seven, um, when this took place, but watching it, I, I didn't even know my dad was fasting for a really long time. I'm just new. Daddy doesn't eat with us and he's getting skinny, you know, <laughs> but I did notice that my brother, um, had, we hadn't been, had a hospital trip. I wasn't going to stay at granny's. Um, yeah. and that, uh, and then when it was explained to me what took place, I was like, oh, maybe there is something about this whole faith thing, you know? Um, and now my brother, he's incredible. Um, all of the things that were declared over his life by folks who didn't know better, um, saying he couldn't do this, that, and the third, it turned out to be a lie. Uh, and that he, he is, um, living a great life. He's still in Cleveland. He, he has been working, um, a, a job actually at the hospital where we were trying to get him some brain surgery. He works there. <laughs> And has his own place and his own car and has been able to be completely independent, um, which is fantastic. And for me, that has, it was like, you know, his story is most certainly like just the, the proof of God's miraculous healing power. Um, yes. And also, you know, just like all of the things that, um, 
that we're told in this world that we can't do, that we can't achieve, that we can't have. Um, but if the Lord says it's not so, I actually have other things for you. That's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, I also, I always, I love to tell the story because it is really powerful and it is dynamic, but I also preface it with, I am also a believer in modern day medicine and, and very important things like, you know, mental health treatment and going to, I believe that the Lord has put many different giftings in many of us. Some of those folks are called doctors and counselors and therapists, and we should utilize all of the gifts that the good Lord has blessed us with. Um, but in this particular case uh, for my brother. Um, and I think really it wasn't even just for my brother. It was definitely to help shape mm-hmm. my faith and my family's faith and to strengthen us. Um, anyway, uh, but so yeah, left there, went, left, well, left Cleveland uh, for a while and, and went to Wilberforce and then worked at the paper and then got to um, go out and, uh, well, actually I started working for a global newswire as an editor, um, and really loved the work and, but also still really deeply involved in the church at that time and, and still am, but I wanted, um, to do some more like deep theological, deep dives in academia. Uh, And so I applied for a Fulbright scholarship and by the grace of God, got that and um, lived in Scotland uh, for two years studying theology. And during that time became the womanist theologian of Scotland. Um, And I'd like to say it was because I was just so brilliant, but it was probably because I was the only black woman there studying womanist theology in Scotland. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, yeah. And and then during my time there, I moved to a large community. Um, So those are intentional communities of abled and different abled people who live and work together. And it's all built on this Christian ethos of reciprocal love and really tries to break outside the usual medical model of like carer and care for. And, you know, after doing just like really deep thinking and, and um, theological exegesis, uh, it is, it is a beautiful thing to just be with people and experience people. And so I got to do that. Um, and that really shaped my own theology and my own politic, um, living in a, in a community that was very much, um, socialist when you're thinking about like Scotland as, as a, as a country within a country, but also in Larsh as a community within a community and the ways in which it, it made me really think a lot about the early church and this notion of how, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is the one that talks about how there were no poor among them. And it was because folks were pouring into one another. It's like, if you have it and I don't, then I have it too, <laughs> right? Like we're ensuring that people actually have their basic needs met and, you know, being a person who, you know, for a long time, I was considered the woman with the issue of blood myself and being able to come to a country where my medication was free Mm -hmm. when I would have to like 
I had literally had to choose my jobs wisely in the U.S. to ensure that it had a healthcare plan attached to it that would I could afford my meds to live. And like, then I moved to Scotland. It's like, no, you can work in Larch where they're not going to pay you great, but you're going to get your basic needs met. You'll have the health insurance because everyone who lives here has it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so coming back to the U.S., um, recognizing that just some of the vast um, disparities that we have uh, are, are most certainly unnecessary, um, but also created right? That they didn't just haphazardly happen, Mm -hmm. Um, that they're built, systems are built by people, they're sustained by people. Mm -hmm. And many of us tend to be kind of cogs in that machine, in that wheel. Um, And there are intentional decisions that we all can make and should make, um, especially as people of faith, um, to disrupt that Mm -hmm. and to make more possible for other people. And so I'm really blessed to be able to do that work here now in Minnesota. Um, yeah. Or, you know, as you named, I'm a communications director there. Um, but I, the, the in, just for a little context, Isaiah and Faith of Minnesota are two statewide organizations in Minnesota uh, where we fight for racial and economic justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we organize communities of faith. We have about 300 um, institutions, many of them churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have about 50 Islamic mosques that we also organize. Uh, we organize a couple dozen Black-owned barbershops uh, and 500 child care centers. So it's a lot of people, um, but we are all fighting um, for similar things, for people to be able to to have what they need um, for us to have race forward ways in which we um, talk about and go to get things. Because we also know, you know, when those who are hurt the hardest and hard and, and fastest mm-hmm. in our communities and in our country, um, when they actually have attained the things that they need to be able to thrive, everyone else is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's never been a point where those who have been harmed the most get to be okay and other people hurt in response to that even though it's a story we tell ourselves like power is like pie only if you take some other people get less and it's like that's not how it works um and so getting to to do that work with folks of faith where I get to lean in to uh justice um and redemption and restoration fully in my work and in my vocation and in my ministry and I get to do communications it's like it is just it is an incredible privilege um that I absolutely love and it's a joy I've had a very long answer to your first question I love it here for it. This is so powerful. I truly believe that you have a superpower because you were able to experience God in different facets. You Mm -hmm. got to experience the power of God in your brother's life. Yeah. And you went later on and you were theologically trained in Scotland. And then after that, being a part of L'Arche and just seeing God's desire for us to live with one another and what it looks like. Um, it's so crucial. I think you were holistically trained mm. for the work that you're doing. And I think one of the problems I see nowadays is um, we want to solve all of our problems with theology, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with theology. That's just part of the problem. Or, you know, we have all 
all this zeal and all these dreams, but we don't have a theological framework to help us um, right. in our zeal. Or, you know, we, because we live in the society that we live in here in America, we don't know for the most part what it's like to live in community. We're very individualistic, right? Yeah. We, we yeah. don't understand that our life, our decisions, the way we move, greatly impacts the world around us That's um, right. but you've just kind of been trained from like being at home to, like I you know grew up in the Ethiopian church and uh growing up like seeing supernatural stuff was the norm we saw demons being casted out yeah 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 but then when I started getting theologically trained the school I was a part of you know by and large were cessationalists or if they weren't they acknowledge that God heals. They acknowledge that God has power, but they never really leaned into it. It was so weird. And I was like, yeah, God can do that, but we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to confuse anybody. We, wanna, we don't want people thrown off by this. And so there was, you know, they're practically cessationalists, even though they theologically were not, right? Yeah, yeah. But I am so thankful for my upbringing because if I hadn't seen with my very two eyes that God heals, yeah. that God has the power to overcome sickness, um, yeah. I could have easily been deceived in the theological circles that, was, that I was in to believe that God no longer does that kind yeah. of stuff, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. A question I wanted to ask, you do a lot of important work when it comes to justice and racial and economic justice, um, but I, I was intrigued by hearing your story. Do you feel like the experiences that you had growing up, seeing the faith of your father, the healing of your brother, being part of the churches that you were a part of, um, do you think that has shaped your faith and hope in the reality that God can actually bring about justice? Because when you get into this work of justice, it's really yeah. easy to be discouraged. It's yeah. really easy to be cynical and think like, well, we're just going to have to wait for the by and by for this thing to get figured out. But mm -hmm. I feel like you were in your upbringing, you almost witness an impossible situation and you saw God work in an impossible situation impossible yeah. situation yeah. and um, I'm just wondering like do you feel like you needed that to kind of give you the hope the faith the strength the courage to um tackle um injustice yes absolutely absolutely you know I um when I think about like what you were naming, that sometimes we lean too far one way or the other, um, that we're, we either are just so like spiritually minded um, that we're no earthly good as the saying goes, right? But then sometimes we're like, no, it's all about this, 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 this. And like, God can sit over there. <laughs> like, it's not useful. It's not utilitarian in this moment. And, um, and because I have gotten, I mean, really to experience um, both of these things, but happened in like really interesting, um, intertwined ways. It, you know, getting to witness like the miraculous event that happened with my brother, but also like you, I grew up in a, in a more charismatic church. I've most certainly have seen demons cast out of folks. I've seen folks who could not walk, get about their wheelchairs and walk, like mm -hmm. seeing those things most certainly make clear to me, like the, there is like literal power and authority that God has, but also in all of these events, we have to remember that though usually the catalyst for like watching this miraculous thing happen is a person did something mm. like there was a there was God used this as conduits right of 
yeah. of uh, his power. And so we're tapping into a resource, yes. like no, or into the source, right? And so that we can also help to produce these resources. And so, you know, I, and and if you look historically um, and you look through biblical texts, there were many times that God most certainly utilized people to do things. And often it was like, vastly different things because i think sometimes we also think well god is just calling us to pray that's yeah. the thing and that's it yeah. and i'm like god they called people to do a whole lot of stuff that required a bunch of action a bunch of things sometimes it made sense sometimes it made none right but but the the thing that was important is that folks were actually listening to god and moving um with god and and so I, I love to say that a lot of my work is like co-conspiring with God, uh, that it is really about, you know, this notion of, of having abundant life, having life abundant does it not just mean on the other side, right? It doesn't just mean when we get to heaven, but that we actually can have it here on earth and that we are called as Christians to do certain things. And it doesn't just mean, you know, in your prayer closet, which is important. like I I would be absolutely important Lord knows I needed the strength of the spirit every day Um, and also I know that Christ has called us to live a certain life to live justly right to love mercy to walk humbly with God and when we are doing that um, we are we are co-conspiring with God we are being readily used as God's hands and feet and it is but it, it is um, I just, I can't stress enough the importance of being clear that both things are operating together. It's not just that, you know, God says, go do this thing. Everything will be perfect and beautiful and wonderful. Cause we know that don't happen. Um, but also we, we, you know, God forbid, we think that it's our work that brought us glory, right? It's our work that made things come to fruition. Like a, a prime example, um, you know, in the, in the state of Minnesota, we have, um, for, for many, many years, we've had the, some of the longest um, probation sentences uh, in the country. And when I say that, I mean like people could literally go to jail for a week and be on probation for 40 years. And in this state, when you're on probation, of course, that limits you to a bunch of like public services, housing assistance, work, work, for sure, right? <laughs> like there are certain places you cannot work. Um, you're also not allowed to vote. So you don't get the ability, the right to have civic participation. Like there's a lot of things that just cut you off from community and society. And that could be for decades yeah. um, in the state. And um, and so my organization had been fighting for a long time um, to really transform this very punitive system. And that was one of the ways is, is reducing the number of years that you can be on um, probation here. And after many years of fighting that fight, two years ago, we won. Um, and so we've made it now possible so that you can't, you can't be sentenced to probation longer than five years uh, in Minnesota, which like, you know, many folks who saw that from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, they did this, they did this work. They were at the legislature. They were at the sentencing guidelines. They were showing up to all these things. And yes, we did all of that. But I'll tell you, if it was not for God working in consortium with us, we would still have 40 year probation sentences. I fully and wholeheartedly believe that. 
And so we have to be clear that like, yes, we are called to do work. And we also know that God still is the one that delivers the victory and God is still the one who deserves the glory in the end. And so, you know, getting to do this work around, you know, criminal justice reforms and getting health care for all and, you know, fighting police brutality and ensuring that our communities are safe, whole and healthy is a call that we all have right, to do that work, but we also get to do it knowing that we have a God who will in the end deliver us the victory. And so we're always fighting with a win. Yes, I love that. That's so profound. I love how you broke that down. You know, too often in the church, we have the secular sacred divide, Mm -hmm. and we don't feel like God is with us in culture, just in our Christian bubbles, right? Um, Andy Crouch wrote a book on culture, and he said Christians are notorious for critiquing culture, condemning culture, copying culture, um, forgetting the four C. <laughs> but he's like, but where are the Christians that will contribute to culture? Mm. You know, when you, when you think about Jesus's priestly prayer, yeah. he said, keep them here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. or when I think about the transfiguration, you know, Peter's like, can we just set up tent and just stay here? And Jesus yeah. now nah, we got work. We got to go back down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So often in church communities, we just want to stay in our bubbles. We want to stay in the holy of holy places. We want to just stay singing songs and listening to sermons. But what you see in the gospel, what you see in in what Jesus has commanded us is to, right, Sunday shouldn't be the Super Bowl. It should be the place where we're equipped for the work of the ministry, right? Right. um, I, I just wanted to ask you this. Why do you feel like and maybe you have noticed this, maybe you've not, I'm pretty sure you have. Why do you feel like justice work isn't perceived to be God's work? Mm. Um, why is it that, you know, we're really good at, you know, let's um, let's preach the gospel, let's make yeah. disciples. And that's about the cap for what it looks like yeah. to, uh, you know, live for God outside the four walls of the church. But how come we don't understand that making disciples includes justice work? It includes loving your neighbor, includes fighting for the vulnerable. And, and so on and so forth. Like, where's why do we have that dissonance? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think it's because we often, many of us within the Christian context um, are taught our faith through other people. So it is, it is a, it's an oratory, right? It's an, it's an audible way which we come to Christ. And it is usually done through storytelling and it's iterative that way. It's, but it also means many of us haven't read our own scriptures, right? Or we don't do, we don't take time to like develop our own interpretation or sit with the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, I learned this. I have, you tend to have a similar faith tradition and context as whoever taught you, whether it be a parent, grandparent, et cetera. Um, and so a lot of this just kind of gets passed down um, and, and tends to be really void of like the concrete more concrete things and ways in which you live out your faith here on earth, which will certainly involve justice deeply. Um, But also, you know, and, and in that, right. A lot of our traditions, even if we think about like traditionally how we celebrate Christ, when we have like these big, especially in American context, like what national holidays we celebrate right around Christ, it is almost always thinking towards Uh later, like what happens after we die, right? Like when we think about the birth of Christ, we're not getting excited about him healing sick in his life and and setting captives free. We're excited about he's coming to redeem us, to bring salvation so that we can go to heaven, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, we do the same thing with Easter. It's about, you know, he died and became resurrected so that we could go to heaven. Like we get our sins forgiven to go to heaven. Like everything is about what we're going to do in the much, what we understand to be a much longer strain of time than the, you know, 80, 90 years we're here on earth. Yeah. But we completely forget about the 33 years of Christ's life. We don't have a bunch of periods where we celebrate very succinctly, like the, the very good and what we argue to be political work that Christ did here on earth. Yes, yes, and Christ yes. is going to temples telling folks that I'm here to set captives free, prisoners free. I'm here to ensure that chains are broken, that, that folks get to live a life abundant. Like that is a very strong politic. I mean, again, that is a very strong declaration about my care for the public, for people here and now. And Christ's ministry is incredibly important. We're called to emulate Christ, yeah. right? And, and if we are to do that, then that means we got to live a life of justice here on earth um, and not just be just, because I think that's also the other thing. We think, you know, that scripture that says to do justice, doing justice is different than just being a just person. You could be just person in your house, you know, oh, I treat people fair when they come to me. But doing justice means you got to go out to them. And that is, it is a, it is a slight change in vernacular and a huge shift in our worldview and how we actually live our lives. Yeah, that's profound. Listen, I love what you said. Um, When you, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus didn't come and just give sermons. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he gave five, six sermons in the same years. Right. what you see him doing is healing the sick. What you see him doing is opening blind eyes. What you see him doing is feeding those who are hungry. Like I think about the, the you know, he, he fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000. Um, Jesus looked upon the people and saw that they were hungry. Like Jesus acknowledged people, not just as souls, but as yeah. bodies, you know what I mean? Yeah. He yeah. took care of all of their, there was like a holistic approach to Jesus's ministry. Absolutely. I think, Absolutely. I think of Elijah in the Old Testament, the one of his lowest moments, you know, one of the 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 part the, the moments in his life where he was most dec- discouraged. Jesus didn't send a podcast. <laughs> he didn't he didn't send another prophet to give him a, a word. Mm-hmm. Um, he had him fed. He sure did. He sure did. <laughs> you know I, mean? I eat. Eat. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. We in our in our community right now, we're going through the book of James. Mm. And James is such a, I think every church should should go through the book of James. Absolutely. I remember one of the first things I learned uh, going through seminary was that the book of James, well, it when I was going through my like very academic theological training, yeah. uh, it, it became very clear that James almost did not make it into our 66 yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> they was like, nah, dude, you're telling people to do too much right now. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. 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 Put him up against Paul and, you know, yeah. contradict each other, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get why? Because it really calls us to a life of justice. Yeah. Uh, we went through uh, chapter two, verses one through 13 last week. And in yeah. verse five of chapter two, um, James says, Jesus came for the poor. Mm-hmm. And what I love about, I mean, he's talking about physically, you know, he came for the poor, but when you study the Beatitudes, Jesus also came for the spiritually poor. 
That's right. Tim Keller made an incredible statement about this. And he said, for those who embrace the doctrine of grace, um, you have to acknowledge that you are needy. Mm -hmm. Nobody can say they're a believer of Jesus without acknowledging that they need saving. Nobody mm -hmm. can acknowledge that Jesus um, is their Lord if they don't understand that they are broken, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like in chapter two, that first part is getting at partiality, favoritism. And it's like, we, we kind of do away with the poor and show favoritism to the rich. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so, con it's a contradiction because um, we were poor, right? Spiritually, we were spiritually bankrupt, right? Yeah. And yeah. Jesus didn't show us favor because we could add anything to his life, but yeah. rather he showed us favor because of his love for us. And that's, you said yeah. this earlier, this is not just an example that Jesus gives for us. He invites us into that way of life. And so I wanted to kind of ask you like in this work, why do you think we show favoritism? Why do you think we are unable to see ourselves in the lowly, in those that are marginalized? Like, why do we, if we believe, if we subscribe to the gospel, why is there a disconnect between our relationship with God and our relationship with others? Yeah, yeah. Oof, that's, that's meaty. I, you know, um, wow. I mean, there's, it's such a, wow. It's, it, it makes me think about like the Good Samaritan story, you know? And a lot of times when we read that story, we want to imagine we're being the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Like we're being the one who's helping out somebody else. Yes. And we very rarely remember that that usually is not the role we're playing. <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're so used to like these, these, these stories that are, are showing who the like protagonist is and the protagonist is, is usually helping somebody else. We want to be, we will, we aspire to be consistently like that person that's, that's saving, that's, that has this upper hand and is using it for good. Um, and, you know, it is, it is hard for us often to remember that that is not the role we're in, um, that we are, we are poor, we are broken, we are hurting. Um, and that requires a, a certain level of vulnerability, uh, and honesty and integrity, um, that, that takes practice, um, to an intentionality really to, to be able to, to, to acknowledge. Yeah. Um, and so when we're also, you know, taught things like if you're poor, it's cause you didn't ask the Lord for what you need. Or if you are sick, it's cause you don't have enough faith in your healing. Like when we are taught these things over and over again, either explicitly or subversely, like there's, it, it is, it is a hard thing to overcome that in like, like, no, you know, the Lord says where I'm weak, God is strong, right? <laughs> I actually need to be weak first for his strength to, to show. And, um, and that is a, it, it's, it's just, it's difficult. And anybody who says it's easy, ain't doing it right. You know, <laughs> like, it is a difficult thing. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
Yeah, like just to speak to that too, in James 1, James says, every good gift comes from the father of lights, right? And I think in our culture, we, we don't understand that our success has nothing to do with our work ethic. Mm. Yet yeah, there's so many things that had to go right to be successful. Even if yeah. you were really hard, even if you were smart, it's like, did you grow up? What neighborhood did you grow up in? Did right. you have your parents? Did right. you have teachers that believed in you, right? right. Were right. you qualified for certain scholarships? Uh, we don't talk about the grace of timing, being at the oh, right wow. at the right time, Seriously. being at the right people. Like there's so many things outside of our control that contribute yes. to our success. And yes. it's just hypocritical as Christians when we look down on the poor as if we had something to do with our success. Like, exactly. you know, our upbringing is a grace of God. Having two parents right. is the grace of God, you know? Right. So yeah, I just right. love that's right. Yeah. And when we're taught all the time, it's meritocracy, it's individualism. That's the thing that gets you where you need to go. And then, of course, on the flip side, if, if you didn't get there, then that's your own fault. Right. Yes. But it is it's it's not acknowledging that so much of how we are brought up, how we're shaped, how we think, our worldviews, uh, how we live our lives, our successes and our failures, failures are also, it's all, there's all connective tissue that we're all interconnected and that we are responsible for one another in that regard. And, um, and yeah, it, yes, 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 yes. Which is again, like why, Jesus's work was so profound and prophetic and prolific when you look at like him out here chopping it up with women he ain't even supposed to be talking to <laughs> like yeah, like funny. the just the 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 people who were most certainly considered on the margins who were con- who were considered by society not worthy who were who were deemed unclean for a series of reasons and Jesus went and like no they are whole, they are well, they are my children, they are, you know, sisters and brothers, like it is, it is, that is our call. Yeah. And it's one that, you know, we, we try to skirt way too often. Way too often. Yeah. That's also why I feel like your story, you have a, you have a superpower. You've just kind of been, God has led you in different <laughs> circles to help you see the gospel holistically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it is one that I, I pray I've never taken for granted um, that I'm, you know, I really do strive to try to keep at the forefront, you know, the grace that God has given me because Lord knows I'm broken and, and I'm, you know, I'm just as hungry as the next person, but trying to show people where the bread is, you know, and so that is, that's, that's the kind of life that, um, that I'm really blessed to be able to live, you know? Yeah. Listen, I, I really feel like we could stay another hour easily. Let, I know I brought this up in our last conversation too often when we hear the, the, the verse, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, James actually calls that the royal law. But, you know, we have in Christian culture politicized that statement. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself is to be Republican or Democrat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So for you, with the work that you're doing, the experience that you have, with the conviction and the theology that you share, um, yeah. Can you like in layman's terms, just give us a breakdown of what is justice work and why is this uh, synonymous with what Jesus has done? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I I love that you brought this up, this notion of like loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and I always lean to when Jesus was like, yeah, I got a new one for you. I mean, you love your neighbor as I love you. And so that actually is a very clear call to go back to what did Jesus do that showed us that Jesus loved us, mm. right? And so we really like to jump to, well, Jesus died for us and rose again. Yes. Well, also look at all this other stuff Jesus did. <laughs> like, you know, Jesus fed us. Jesus healed us. Jesus was with us, just like being present with us. Jesus turned over tables and told people they was being vipers and snakes by trying to turn for profit what he meant to be holy, right? There is a whole series of Jesus, of things that Jesus did to show that Jesus loved us. And that is the kind of work that we are called to. And, and that's what, that's what this justice work is. It's actually not just saying, telling folks, I love you. I'll pray for you. It's not having the anemic kind of love that doesn't actually do anything. Justice is literally love. It is, it is your love in action. It is your public love in action. That's what justice work is. And so that's the, the work that, that I continue to do. And I know many folks who are listening continue to do that you continue to do. Um, but it is, it's the kind that, that is in abundance. The more and more that we do it, the more and more folks are doing it with us. Um, and I also think it's extremely evangelical. That when you're talking about, you know, when we talk about, we need to go spread the gospel, we need to go, and then you hear what some folks version of gospel is, which sounds more like fire and brimstone. I'm like, I'm pretty sure gospel translates the good news and that do not sound good. Oh. <laughs> when we're out here talking about the ways in which God, God and Jesus has brought like full redemption and love and justice to our lives and that we get to have it and we get to spread it. That is good. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it's that, that's the work that, that we're called to, but it is what we get to do with both duty and joy. Duty and joy. I love that. And I love how you simplify that. Cause I think when we think justice, we don't think that, but that's all justice means, you know what I'm saying? And so for those who are tuning in, by the way, I just want to put this out there. Uh, Minister Janae is going to be with us at Glory 2022. Yes, yes. If you're trying to hear, so excited. Yeah, this is. We're just trying to get you know get their feet <laughs> a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> In the conference, uh, and so I'm really really excited to have you for that and for you to continue sharing your wisdom and all of that. Um, but for those who are tuning in, what would be maybe your last uh, thought of encouragement? Last. Uh, you know, maybe you want to um, challenge, you know, something you want to do to help equip, uh, or maybe somebody that you're thinking of that wants to start, but doesn't know where to start, you know, because okay. it can be overwhelming, like, oh, do I go now and just do this? Do I do that? What do I, you know, how do, you know, I love earlier, you talked about justice is, is simply how you treat others, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, Maybe some of us need to start with just loving our family well, you know, or loving. <laughs> That's for real. Loving that is that is family, real, right? And so, yeah, um, yeah. Like, what would be a last thought, an encouragement, a challenge, any way you want to leave us equipped? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, I, I love this notion of just like starting very, very local. 
And and most are, for some people, local means like getting involved in your city races and, and like city missions. But uh, very, very local could be making sure you're talking to people who live with you and like loving on them, right? <laughs> like yeah. having a meal together once in a while, checking in on people. Um, and, and, you know, when they, when they say that they're in need, not just saying, okay, I'm going to pray for you, but seeing, are there other ways you can help to meet that need? If you don't like have financially or resourcefully have it, can you be present with that person? Um, That's so good. The, 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 the ministry of presence is a beautiful one. Wow. Um, and so, and, and then I would also just add, you know, because uh, you you name this like in justice work, oftentimes people immediately, or even in politics, right? People immediately translate that into, well, you're talking about Democrats and Republicans, and you got to pick a side and fight on the side, and um, and and I think as Christians, we're called to even disrupt that, mm. right? That 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 binary that is a falsehood. Um, yeah that we are we are called to be just people and that is not a partisan issue that's a human one and you know there if, if you are you know hearing things that sound like oh well that is just democrats to think that or just republicans to think that like let's get out of that binary and let's talk about what is christ thinking like wh- where where is christ on this issue mm-hmm. and like really break outside that box of you know, only certain people on this wing or the other um, would do X. Uh, and and quite frankly, I think the more and more of us who really do lean into that and think that way, we'll actually start to not just break these binaries, but we'll start to make more possible, create more possibilities because we've been so stuck on and see the left or right. But it's like, no, let's stay straight and narrow on this road. <laughs> Um, and the more and more we do that, the more and more possible, um, we make it for us to have that, that, that city, that state, that country where there are no poor among us, um, that, that folks get to really get to live into them full, their full selves and, and live it with joy. Yeah, no, that's so good. I love that. Man, this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Man, I'm fat. If nobody else has something, just know. <laughs> with a lot and so uh, thank you for lending your time and wisdom to us here on shaping the culture it is a pleasure having you and we're excited to have you at glory conference this year i'm really excited about it come out come out make sure you show up yeah 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 um for those who want to get connected with you or engage with you or connect with you where can they find you are you on social media are you i am i am on social um Please hit me up on Twitter. I have, I, I definitely am pretty, I try to be pretty active on there uh, at favored J, J-A-E. Um, but also, you know, folks can definitely reach out to me um, through my organization. Uh, so all you got to do is go to IsaiahMN.org and Isaiah just spelled like the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, nice and simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I, again, thank you for your time. I truly appreciate you, the work that you do, the heart that you have. Um, You're making the world a better place. I know you're making me better just from this conversation. And so, yeah, we love what you do. We love what God has started in you. We pray that he continues it. And so 
Amen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Until next time, family. Peace. This isn't real life. I got a real life. Christ is better than it ain't no doubt. I ain't got time to debate. This country to save. I can't think you, but I pray.